Men Who Would Occupy High Places. It's a new episode of Leaning Toward Wisdom, the podcast. Ernest Hemingway wrote, Critics are men who watch a battle from a high place, then come down and shoot the survivors. <laughs> Man, there's so much truth to that. I was 11 years old when I learned how men will clamor for power and authority. Sitting alongside my dad, I was watching men wrangle and argue and get all worked up. And Cooperation? Yeah, we don't need no stinking cooperation. Collaboration? Well, it's not even an afterthought. The objective... Who is in charge? Who can be boss? I mean, it was very apparent to me more and more that men, you know, want that role, hence all the wrangling. And I have since said so many times I can't count them all. You throw an ounce of power on the ground, and if there's a, if there's two men present, They'll wrestle over it. Let's talk about men who would occupy high places. Greetings and welcome inside the Yellow Studio. My name is Randy Cantrell. I'm glad you clicked play. LeaningTowardWisdom.com is the website. You can go check out. There's all kinds of episodes over there. You probably got, I don't know, how many of you got in your feed? A hundred. I know I've got the setting to a hundred, so no matter what platform you're on, there's going to be a hundred available to you. <laughs> yeah, I'm not asking you to go back and binge on all those, but you could. You might want to. You never know. It's modern tales of an ancient pursuit. We are trying to lean toward wisdom. And we're absolutely trying to lean further and further away from our own foolishness. I wish there was more that we could do to lean away from the foolishness of others. Like it's not bad enough that we have to battle our own, but we do have to battle others too. You do know that I own the domain name surroundedbyninnies.com. Ninnies is spelled N-I-N-N-I-E-S surrounded by ninnies.com yeah go check it out because we are surrounded by ninnies you know life rolled on for me from an 11 year old and as a young teenager working in a stereo shop i would see I, more and more i just this just happens as you grow up you just you see the pecking order right there is this pecking order So I'd grown up seeing that. So that wasn't new for me by the time I got to the hi-fi shop. Uh, The first appearance of this was likely on the playground. And I don't mean the playground at school, but I just mean out and about, even in the neighborhood playing. Because all of us as kids, even as small kids, we had to figure out what were we going to play and who were we going to play with. Now, invariably, somebody would install themselves as the contrarian. Did you have this person? (laughs) It seemed like we always had this person. 
this person who would go against what anybody else wanted. I mean, it was almost, it was a Seinfeld episode is what it amounted to, except Seinfeld had yet to come around. We were little kids and I'm way older. Um, it didn't have anything to do. It didn't seem to me with a preference. It had more to do with control. It had to do with power and authority. And maybe this kid was hoping to gain some advantage that he could impose on the rest of us. And occasionally, not very often, but occasionally that might even be a girl. Ah, uh, you know, there's one in every crowd or more, right? Everybody decides, you know, well, Hey, let's, let's, let's do this. Hey, let's build a fort. No, I don't want to do that. You know, meanwhile, everybody else is in agreement, but this one outlier, you know, has got to try to wreck it for everybody. I'm pleased to tell you that I grew up in an America that was not yet awakened. Hashtag woke. Uh, You know, mostly, (laughs) mostly the tactics of the contrarian didn't work. And the reason it didn't work is because we just didn't cooperate. I mean, if there's a if there's a whole bunch of us and we we want to go build a fort and this one person, well, you know, I don't want to build a fort. Well, you know what we did? Yeah, we built the fort. If, if they, and more often than not, my memory, they joined in. Occasionally, once in a while, they might storm off and go marching back home. And we all looked around and. We didn't even, we didn't talk about it because you didn't have to, but I know we were all thinking the same thing. Either way, we win because <laughs> uh, we're going to build a fort. And so if they want to come along, great, cooperate. But if they don't, then go home. We were, we were, either way, we won. We were happy. It was, it was fine. Lemming-itis, lemming-itis, that would arrive later in America. I did not grow, I didn't grow up. At least that part of life for me, we were anything but lemmings. Lemmingitis is now this global epidemic. It's not just an American thing. It's worldwide. Bullies. Bullies, you know, they almost always ran up against a tougher opponent or somebody like me who was not necessarily a tougher opponent, just somebody who was willing to take them on, willing to challenge them, uh, usually verbally. Yeah, I, I fought with my mouth. Big surprise, huh? Or there might be a group of people who figure, you know, together together we can conquer this single bully who, okay, every bully's got a few buddies that are hanging on, but it's, it's the one guy that people are really most fearful of. I was in elementary school. I don't remember what age, but this was pretty early on when I learned the value of, of a verbal punch to the mouth. I learned very quickly, and I learned it before I got to school. I can tell you that straight up. I remember learning it well before school. I learned it just out in the neighborhood, playing with other kids. A verbal punch to the mouth could back a bully down. In fact, I'll go so far as to tell you, a verbal punch to the mouth always backed the bully down. And I'll freely admit it didn't hurt that, you know, I was not that shrimpy little kid. And I was kind of tall. I was tall and husky. And I mean, yeah, (laughs) husky. Do you realize that that was once a size of boys clothing in stores? You actually could find a pair of jeans and they would be labeled husky. (laughs) 
<laughs> oh, man. Husky. I'm wondering. I need to look in my closet. I wonder if I've got anything labeled husky. It's not the most flattering term, I freely admit. Bravery to confront the bully was not difficult for me. I have never, ever been in a fistfight, ever. I have never hit someone like that. The only time I've hit anybody is when we were boxing. I had a neighbor, we loved to box, and he had boxing gloves, and, and we would box. And But now he was a fighter at school. He, he'd get into fistfights, and he'd get suspended all the time. And, and he was a pretty good fighter. I was bigger than him, but, you know, I... I was taught not to fight, and I didn't. I knew that if I did, it would not be worth the penalty that I would have to endure. Uh, and I was never—I wasn't prone to that anyway. I, I would much rather have wrangled with somebody verbally. But I would watch, and I would listen, and I would pay really close attention. And what I learned is with bullies— and even people that were willing to fight, there was substantially, seemed to me, a louder barking than actual biting. And I just, I don't know. I was not afraid of being bitten. I, I, I never feared for somebody punching me in the face. Nobody ever did, but I, I, it just wasn't, I, I, I can't explain it. I don't know why. You know, for me, justice and rightness and, well, peace, peace. From my earliest memory, I will tell you that I I was on the playground in the neighborhood. I, I was the peacemaker. I've talked a little bit about this before, and I think it mostly, it. I, I'm not saying that it doesn't stem from, I'm not, let's make sure that you really understand this. I am not espousing myself as some great peacemaker. It was sparked mostly because I didn't want to get in trouble. I didn't want to see my friends get in trouble. And I didn't want our play to get shut down. And I knew that that's what the first thing the adults are going to do if the adults get involved is they're going to make us all come home. They're going to make us all come inside. We didn't live inside. We lived outside. I mean, it would have been, it, that was the death knell. So, I, there was a lot at stake for my learning to be a peacemaker. It wasn't some altruistic, oh, he's a great human kind of a thing. It was, no, it'll it'll put an end to this playtime we've got. Don't you understand? By the time I was in the sixth grade, I'm world-class, man. I'm a world-class peacekeeper. I mean, yeah, Henry Kissinger had nothing on me. By the time I'm in sixth grade, I've... I've got Kissinger kind of skills, man. I've been practicing this every single day that we went outside to play. Experience does that, you know. I don't have any way of knowing or remembering how many fights I broke up or prevented, how many arguments I would shut down. I do know that it was enough that it taught me it taught me lifelong lessons in how to do it successfully and how to get better at it. I mean, it just, it, that's what it does experience. Mostly I will tell you, I didn't, I didn't want to be in charge. 
I will also tell you, I didn't want anybody else to be in charge either. <laughs> I know sometimes that's impractical. Now, I knew in my life, I had big authority figures in my life. My parents were my authority, and above my parents, there was only God. That was it. That was it. Well, okay. That's not entirely true. Adults. Adults. And the, the adults that I knew my parents respected, you know, adults at church mostly. And I was respectful and taught to be respectful to all adults, no matter who they were, especially teachers and authority figures. You know, but we're all, we're all out here in the yard and we're all playing and why do we need somebody to be in charge? I, it just never made sense to me. I mean, it seemed it seemed best to me that, well, let's just agree. Let's just all work to some consensus and some agreement, and then let's get on with the business of playing before it gets dark. Because when it gets dark, man, we've all got to go home, and now we got to wait until tomorrow. And playing's way more fun than arguing or fussing. So let's... Come on, let's figure this out. And over time, I grew up. And increasingly, I would see men. I'm excluding women here. And I'm only excluding women because as a boy growing up, my experience was mostly with other guys. I had playmates who were girls, but the vast majority were, were guys. No, I didn't think girls had cooties. I tease my grandsons, you know, if you got a girlfriend, got a girlfriend, you know, and they just look at me real embarrassed and I'm, you know, I'm like, I had a girlfriend. I always had a girl. I had a girlfriend in kindergarten. I had a girlfriend in first grade. I mean, I, I just, I had girlfriends. No, I didn't. Okay. That sounded worse than it. I meant it to. I, I, I didn't think girls had cooties is the point. I, I liked girls. I, I had, I had girls who were friends, and then I had girlfriends. But my experience was mostly with guys, clearly, and watching guys, yeah, okay, behave poorly because especially when they were fighting for some position of power or esteem or, you know, to get your, your head higher than somebody else. I'm not saying that girls don't do that. I'm just giving you my experience. Pride goeth before a fall, says the scripture. I did learn that from the Bible. I'd heard it preached umpteen times at worship services. I knew there were Bible stories that illustrated it and illustrated it very well. I'd heard those. I grew up hearing those, and I believed them. I believed them then. I believe them more now. And I will confess to you that I have never had a day well, I'll go you one better. I've never been able to put together a second <laughs> where I thought I was the smartest person in the room or I thought I was the smartest person on the playground or the smartest person at work or the smartest person in the classroom. Most often, I knew with great certainty I'm not. I'm not. And so being dissatisfied with the current knowledge, being dissatisfied with the current state of my understanding, that was not hard. I, I was always dissatisfied with it because, you know, come on, when you're an idiot and you know it, well, you're, you're always, unless you're just satisfied with being an idiot, and I wasn't, 
and I'm not, always wanting to learn more and really, really curious to understand. You know, I didn't understand. So if everybody wants to build a fort and building a fort is such a cool thing, why wouldn't you want to do that? And then it becomes blatantly obvious to you. Well, they don't want to do it because that's what all the rest of us want to do. And, and I'm like, I'm looking at this kid and I'm trying to figure this out. Why? Why? What? What's the benefit here to them? <laughs> Is there a benefit to being the contrarian? I don't know because I, I wasn't. I wasn't. I, that wasn't how I rolled. So I was willing to ask stupid questions and I would blindly ask without giving a whole lot of thought to how ridiculous it might make me look because you know in my mind i'm figuring you know i look and sound pretty ridiculous anyway so if i look and sound ridiculous without understanding and without knowing then i might as well go ahead and look ridiculous and understand know something and understand <laughs> I, I, this was not a real hard difficult formula for me to figure out and i have stayed true to that by the way my entire life. Now, I can tell you this, because in keeping with the tone and the subject matter of the podcast at hand, leaning toward wisdom, I never felt like I was the smartest person in the room. I did, however, have an understanding at a very young age that I had an ability to notice and observe things, and I had a conscience, a conscience and I had an ability to pre-think and to forethink, to consider consequences that not just everybody in the play circle had. <laughs> I don't know if it was the, you know the the warnings from parents. Uh, I, I don't I don't know because we were all warned. You know we were we were all mostly taught by our parents to be respectful and do the right thing. And it, it was a different era. It was a different era. I freely admit it. I'm glad I'm thankful, but I was very cognizant that I was different. I was different in that area, not smarter, but I'll go ahead and use the W word. There was a level of wisdom that I knew I had. I didn't fully understand it. I mean, it took years and years and I'm still trying to understand it. What I knew about myself at a young age was I just noticed things. I picked up on things. I had an awareness that I could tell with some people in my play circle, they didn't have like, like I was, I was aware. Okay. If we're, if we're going to get into it, you know, we're playing football and yeah, we're playing tackle football and somebody gets hacked off and they get up and they're ready to duke it out. And I step up and I get in between them. I had an awareness that if adults see us out here fighting, the game is over. <laughs> I mean, they didn't have that awareness. I guess. I mean, I, I don't know what they just got up and they were just all they saw was red. You know, they're just rage is all they can see. I just saw something more. I, I saw play is fixing to be over. If if moms look out the window and they see us all just duking it out, we're dead. We're just dead. We're number one. We're all going to get in trouble. Number two, the game is going to be called. We're all going to be summons to our own homes. And now we got to be inside. 
We can't be out here playing football. That didn't seem like a good trade to me. So I did have, I did have that. As time marched on, the odd thing is I didn't want to be controlled. I didn't, I was, I was okay. Maybe happy's too strong of a word. I was willing to be, I was willing to be bossed around by parents and by teachers and authority figures. And I bowed to that and I didn't have any problem. I was not the rebellious kid, but the title men who occupy high places, I picked that because of the Ernest Hemingway quote, critics are men who watch a battle from a high place, then come down and shoot the survivors. Um, I just learned how badly men want to occupy high places. And again, back to my childhood roots, it's not that I wanted to occupy a high place because I never did. But I didn't really want somebody else, especially somebody else who so badly wanted it. I didn't want to let them have it either. Because frankly, my vantage point was, you know, why, why should why should we why should there even be the high place? Now I understood in the classroom the teacher was the boss, and I understood that okay we've got a principal and we got an assistant principal, and I I got all that, and I understand we got policemen and we we got these authority figures in our life. I understood all that, and all that made perfect sense to me. It still does. And then when I went into the workplace as a teenager working in a hi-fi, I understood, okay, well, we've got a store manager, and the store manager answers to this owner. And I understood all of that. But it would be a little bit later before I would, I would really learn tyranny. Tyranny. It's the only word that is appropriate, I think. The tyranny of men who would occupy high places, the tyranny of men who wanted to have authority over other people. And that was the goal. The, the goal was to have authority over others. I just, the activity meant way more to me than that. For instance, I, I go back to my, my high school years selling stereo equipment. I loved music and I loved the equipment. And I really enjoyed helping people figure out the best system to play the kind of records that they enjoyed playing. I, I, I there was just everything about it. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed that activity. Here's what I didn't enjoy. I didn't enjoy and not at first, but later on I would work at some other places and I didn't enjoy management or leadership or bosses, if you please, that weren't as focused on that activity as they were their own power and authority. I mean, let me illustrate. I remember going to work for a guy. He, he, his father had started the company. He was second generation owner and he was just an absolute tyrant. There was never any discussion. There was never any talk about how we needed to really dazzle our customers. We really need to make sure that the customers are happy, 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 happy. Never any conversation about that. There was only just browbeating about this not being right, that not being right, this needs to be out, why isn't this out. Uh, it was never tied back to 
the way the customer is going to experience doing business with us. And mostly the things would be ridiculously minute, minute. For instance, I remember brand new speakers coming in and of course, man, new products come in and you're just anxious to get these things out on the showroom floor because well, number one, you, you want to get them hooked up so you can start listening to them and see what they're all about because they're brand new. You know, we've never seen these before. Hey, let's hook these up. Let's see what these are all about. So products, new products did not languish in the stock room that nobody had to yell mush to get us to put new products out on the, on the floor. So we, we would put something out and we would take a look at, we knew what the price point was. We could see the size of it. And so we would put it somewhere that we thought as guys that were selling this stuff all day, every day, we would put it where we thought it was most appropriate. And then shut your mouth. Here comes, you know, the owner and he just starts just raising all kind of cane because, you know, well, why isn't it over here? You know, it needs to be one speaker over like that was going to make any big difference. I mean, here we are, we're the ones waiting on customers all day, every day. And we put it in a place that was logical to us and in a place that had an aesthetically look good look. And it would be that kind of stuff. It would be that kind of nonsense. And it was very, I was very quick to realize, you know what? All he, he just wants to make sure that he can impose his will. That's all this is. This isn't about making the best decision for where to put that speaker. This is just about the fact that we put it somewhere. And if we would have put it where he said to put it, he would have had us move it to where we first had it. It was just about him getting his way. It was about him being in a high place. He just wanted to make sure that we understood he was occupying a higher place and that he could tell us what to do. That's all it was. That was the game. Now I was just, I was a kid. I was a high school kid. I would grow up and I would learn that, this is a very common thing. Again, I can't speak. Is this a singly a male thing? I don't think so. My, my intuition would be it's probably more heavily geared toward males, but I could be wrong. I don't know. I just know what my experience is. Mostly I've spent my life working for men. And I grew up and came of age working for men. And mostly, I will tell you, I came of age working for tyrants, <laughs> working for men who would occupy high places. And it's why this has been kind of a forefront thing for me. I've, I've, I've studied this long and hard, and I'm, I'm, I've always just tried to understand it because while I can be very resistant to okay, you don't even want to let me have a say in this. That's off-putting to me. That's depressing to me. That's stifling to me. But to be in this high place, I don't care. I, I, I just don't have that high enough opinion of myself that I'm the bastion of whatever you'd have to be the bastion of to occupy a high place. Just don't care. Now, I did clamor for responsibility. I did want more. I wanted people to rely on me. I wanted to be the reliable guy. I wanted to be the guy that, yeah, I, to use a sports metaphor, I wanted the ball. I wanted the ball. 
it had nothing for me. It had nothing to do with glory or adoration. It had everything to do with the activity. It had to do with, yeah, I, I want to advance the ball. I want to build the fort. You know, I mean, there, we're all going to step back and take pride in the fact, hey, man, look what we did. Isn't this cool? This is awesome. I, I wasn't, hey, look what I did. Uh, the pronouns were always very important to me. They still are very important to me. We is way more powerful than I. And I spend a lot of time coaching people in the day job to embrace that. It's getting increasingly harder, by the way, uh, because there are a lot of men who would occupy high places. Now, maybe you thought I was going to go into the political arena, and I'm not, but there is that, and it's interesting, isn't it? The men who would occupy high places or the women who would occupy high places when it comes to politics. But it's power and it's control. It's authority. It's position. It's fame. It's fortune. It's adulation. It's admiration. It's, it's all of those things. It's high-mindedness is what it is. Now, I'm not saying that that's the motive behind everything and everybody. I'm supposing that there's got to be some people who kind of view it the way I view it. I've just found in my own experience, it's rare. It's just rare. You know, because most people just, I want to be the one who can tell you what to do. And I want to be the one who you have to look up to. And then over time, what I learned, and I learned this before I got into college, I was still in high school. So I was still in the early years of it. And it dawned on me, I know why they want to occupy the high place. Because if you occupy the high place, then it means that you can necessarily look down on people who aren't in the high place. And in most situations, there's only room for one in the high place. So if you can be in the high place, then guess what? Everybody's beneath you. So, hey, you can look down on everybody. That would be many years later before I would run into that little, that little saying about, you know, two ways to build the tallest building in town. You can build the tallest building or you can burn everybody else's down. And it would be some years later when I would hear that and I would be taught, I would have to learn. Yeah, that's, that is a, that is an accurate methodology for a lot of people. A lot of people want to build themselves up and they do that by tearing everybody else down. And we're seeing that. I mean, we're, that's at epidemic proportions today. People who are made better, made bigger because somebody else is shrinking or made smaller, or at least, you know, the person in the high place is trying to make them smaller. It's all just interesting to me. I'm still struggling to understand it. And there's still a lot of context in my life where it just makes no sense at all. I understand in the workplace, there needs to be an authority figure who is tasked with making decisions that, well, let's, I'll make it really simple in business organizations. And that could be, I largely work coaching people in city government 
it's not my background, but that's a whole nother story. But if you take people, whether they're running a, a for-profit business, private sector, or they're in city government work, there clearly needs to be someone who can make the call. When the call must be made, there's somebody, and typically the higher up you go, the more risk is associated with those decisions. And so the boss, let's call him a city manager or let's call him a CEO, the city manager or the CEO can clearly make a decision where the risks are at their highest. Meaning if they get it wrong, they could really get it wrong. But hopefully they are competent, they are capable, and they do a good job. And they're not going to, you know, they're not going to bet the farm. They're not going to risk the whole thing. So the higher up you go, the more powerful the impact of your decision. However, the interesting thing to me is the great leaders, and there aren't very many, by the way, who are great. There's some who are good. There's very few who are great. Most are average. And in most cases, average is pretty pathetic. It just is. Sorry. It's just the way it works. But the great leaders, even the good leaders, really collaborate. They really take in as much information as they can to ensure that they get it as right as they possibly can and to make a decision from which they could recover if they were to get it wrong. Because the last thing you want, if you are in the high place, is getting it wrong. You just don't want to get it wrong, and you certainly don't want to get it wrong to the extent that you can't fix it. You can't get it right again. You can't make it right. So the great leaders, they hear people. They question people. They want to know what other people think. They want the input from other people. The really average, even poor, or awful, tyrannical leaders, those in high places, they don't care. They don't care that everybody wants to go build the fort. They don't want to build the fort. And they're not going to let you build the fort. Or they don't want those speakers put right there in that logical place where they belong. They want you to move them over one spot. Why? Because they can. <laughs> I don't know. It's just fascinating to me. Just the whole dynamic and the wrangling for power and position and authority and that pecking order, and we say that for a reason. Uh, go look at any barnyard. I mean, I grew up, I grew up and saw enough chickens in, in barnyards with family to see. Yeah, I mean, you, you see that chicken that comes through and is going to start pecking at the back of the neck of other chickens that try to get their head too too high. It's why we it is it's we call it a pecking order for reason because that's what they do. They they peck at each other. I mean, you, here, you get your head down. You do not get your head up here at the level where I got my head. Who do you think you are? I don't know if there's a point. I would hope there is. I would hope that you're wise enough that you can figure it out. 
I don't think there's anything wrong with being in charge. I don't think there's anything wrong with occupying, in that regard, a high place. I just have found in my own leadership journey and my own ability and willingness and desire to have an impact on other people, it didn't have anything to do with position. It had everything to do with just being eye to eye and being on the same plane. Because last time I looked, we're all in this and we're all fighting the fight and we've all got problems and we've all got struggles and we've all got pain and we've all got joy and we've all got certain moments of happiness and frivolity. We're just people. And it seems to me that I can best help people sometimes by just helping them get a leg up. Sometimes it's bolstering them from underneath, and sometimes it's pulling them up from a higher position, not because of authority, but just because that's just kind of where you're at in life, and you're able to do that for somebody. You ever have anybody pull you up another rung on the ladder? Sure you have. And I know you've had people push you from beneath to get you up a ladder, up a ladder. I just, that may be a stupid metaphor for a lot of you. It makes sense to me because I've experienced it. I suspect you have too. And I'm still fascinated by men who will absolutely go to the ends of the earth to grab an ounce of power, even perceived power. It may not even be real power, but they think it's power. And they want it. And they want it so badly they can taste it. And largely, I have found it's tyranny. They want it because they want to impose on others. I don't like that motive. I don't like that motive at all. Critics are men who watch a battle from a high place, then come down and shoot the survivors. I think Hemingway got that right. It's funny, but sad, because I've seen it. I've seen men who want no part of the fight, but they do want to come down and shoot all the survivors. Don't be one of those. Be somebody who lifts somebody up who does something for somebody that they can't do for themselves. That's leadership. My name is Randy Cantrell. The website is leaningtowardwisdom.com. I have a call to action. Support the show. Go to the website, leaningtowardwisdom.com, and click that link. I'm trying to raise a little bit of money. You can read all about it over there. Greetings and welcome inside the Yellow Studio. Studio.